Last week, I mentioned that this text, Luke 11, the raising of Lazarus, is the seventh and final sign in the Gospel of John. And we went through some of those last week. Water into wine, which tells us and reveals to us that Jesus is the new covenant. There are two signs of healing that show the world Jesus is the great physician. There's loaves and fish multiplied on a hillside, which remind us that Jesus is the bread of life. There's even the healing of the man born blind, which tells us Jesus is the light of the world. And the raising of Lazarus closes out these seven signs and wonders. And this sign and wonder shows the world that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. It's plain. It's right there in the text. But this story troubles me. It upsets me. It angers me. Because in the first part of, the, of chapter 11 here, Jesus seems so callous, doesn't he? Do you get that um, impression when you hear the story? Think about it for a moment. Certainly, we know that Jesus is the one that can do miraculous things. The disciples had witnessed so many amazing things with him. He's the one who can calm the storm and walk on the water. He lets the lame walk. He gives sight to the blind. But this need and suffering that is present, it, it should be so personal to Jesus. We know that Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus are dear, close friends of Christ. It's said many times throughout John's gospel that Jesus loved them. He loved them. They were like family. And yet in the beginning of chapter 11, Jesus and his disciples are in another region and they hear word that Lazarus has fallen ill. And the disciples are, are telling him that Mary and Martha, the, the people you love, they want you to come. Certainly you'll come. You've healed strangers. You've healed Roman soldiers' sons. You've, you've healed the outcast. Can't you come and draw close to somebody that you love? Your own family? And yet Jesus seems so calculated, doesn't he? All through John's gospel, Jesus is absolutely certain of what he's going to do. We believe as Christians, that Jesus is fully divine and fully human. But in John's gospel, we don't get a whole lot of the humanity of Jesus, at least from my read. Jesus is always so calculated. Even when he goes to the cross in John's gospel, he says, uh, nobody makes me do anything I don't want to do. This is God's plan, and I'm following God's plan. Jesus is always so certain. And we see that at the beginning of this. Jesus says, no, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to travel. Even to the people you love? No, no, no. He's just fallen asleep. No, he's really dead. You know what? I'm going to let him die. Let all of them grieve. Let them wail. Let them mourn. Let them think it's all over. And in a few more days, then I'll show up. And then people will really know that I'm special. That's how I read it. And it makes me mad. <laughs> Jesus, what? Why? Why would you do this just to... Prove a point. And yet, a few days later, Jesus will arrive. And what we see happen, I think, is beautiful. Martha, 
runs to greet Jesus and she shakes her fist at him and says, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, where were you and do you love us? What is going on? And I love in this moment that Martha and later Mary will ask him the same question, where were you, Lord, that that we get this window into what it means to be wholly human. How many of you throughout your life have, have shaken your fist at God and asked the same question, Lord, where were you? We all know what it's like to have hearts that ache and break. We suffer disappointments throughout our lives. We have loved ones that become sick with cancer, who die of heart attacks, who leave this world far too soon. Just last night, a beautiful member of Good Shepherd came up to me and he said, my wife and I were married 69 years and she passed away a few months ago. And today would have been the anniversary of our very first date 70 years ago. And as we stood in the office, he said, I still remember what I was wearing as I went to pick her up. We know pain. We know tragedy. And I thank God that in the Gospel of John, in the 11th chapter, Mary and Martha give us permission to be angry at God. The reality is, life isn't perfect. We wonder and we doubt and we question. And then there with Martha, Jesus says, do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in the resurrection? Well, of course I believe in the resurrection. Of course I believe that one day, one day Lazarus will rise. And then Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. All who believe in me will never die. Beautiful, true words, words that we cling to as the promise of our faith. Yet in the story, I'm still a little bit mad at Jesus. It's sort of like he's singing a song to a heavy heart. Where were you? Don't you believe that in the resurrection? (laughs) When you've suffered tragedy, when you've experienced pain, what do you need more than anything? You do not need a happy, clappy-go-lucky Christian coming alongside of you and saying, that was God's plan. No. You want more than anything somebody to draw next to you and say, this is terrible. I feel your pain. I see you. But I thank God for what happens next. As Jesus actually travels closer to the tomb, something changes inside of him, doesn't it? You see, while Jesus is far away, he has all of the right theological answers, and they're all true. Even as he talks to Martha and Mary, he has all the right answers and they're true. It's only when Jesus draws close to the grave where I imagine he can hear the wailing and the weeping. I think it's only when Jesus is close enough to see the tears that are streaming down the faces as he approaches the grave that Jesus begins to weep. He weeps. He grieves. Even Christ has a change of heart from right answers to right relationship. This is always the pathway for our spiritual maturity from head to heart. And I thank God that Jesus makes that journey.
it gives us permission to. And what he does next is remarkable. Roll the stone away. It smells really bad, Jesus. I don't care. Roll it away. Roll it away. We're told in this transliteration, this reading is not an actual verse-by-verse translation. It's a transliteration to give us the story. And the author of this version we read multiple times said Jesus was angry. Jesus was angry. Jesus was angry. I don't know if this is true. I can't speak for the man. But I wonder if his anger wasn't directed at himself. I wonder. I've been giving the right answers. I've been trying to prove a point, but I feel the weight of the sorrow and and, and the brokenness and the pain roll the stone away. Not one more minute can he lie in that grave. Lazarus, come out. And as he comes out, he's wrapped in cloths of burial. And I love what Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. John 11, the raising of Lazarus, also teaches us the cycle of the Christian life. Most of us think, most of us have a framework to think about life in a very linear way, don't we? You're born. You grow up, you stumble, you learn to walk. Hopefully you mature. Hopefully you you, you grow, you learn lessons along the way. But out we come into this world like a rocket on a destination to live as much as we can, to be the brightest light that we can, to get the most out of this world. And then one day it'll, it'll, it'll crescend and, and it'll come back down and we die, right? We live, we're born, we live, we die, the cycle of life. For Christians, we actually believe in a different cycle. The cycle of life for Christians is not life and then death. It is always death and then new life. Death and then new life. You see Lazarus and his death and the grief and the pain and then the raising him to new life is just but one example of how God works in this world. Why do I know that's the true cycle to life? Because I have sat with so many people over the years, as they have faced the worst thing that could ever happen to them, the loss of a child, the loss of a job, pain, separation of relationship from adult children that they're estranged from. And I have seen time and again, though the grief is real, though the pain is real, how God in little ways springs up new life in the midst of our graveyards. This is what God does again and again and again. How else do I know that it's true? Because it's been true in my life. Death to new life. Despair to a more profound hope. The first time I experienced death and resurrection in my life, I was 13 turning 14 years old. It was April 8th, and I'll never forget getting on the school bus and being so excited to go home that night because April 8th was my sister's birthday, three years older. And I was envisioning the Donato's pizza. Remember, I'm a Columbus guy, Donato's. Donato's pizza and the birthday cake and the presents and a night with family. And, And my sister and I, though, had no idea at the time that my mom and dad were struggling in their marriage. We were totally unaware of 
the pain and the sorrow that they were experiencing. And my beautiful, beloved, dear parents never intended for it to happen. But as the birthday cake is brought out with candles lit and set on the table, my mom went back into the kitchen where my father was. An argument ensued, and my sister and I heard the words divorce for the first time. And on my sister's birthday, my mom ran out the front door, my dad followed, my sister went out the back door, and I remained seated there at the table with candles flickering. First time I experienced the world crumbling beneath me, I was just a kid. And later that summer, my mom would send my sister and I to Minnesota to live with my aunt and uncle as she had to find a place to live. For those of you that have suffered through and struggled through a divorce, you know how difficult it is. So all summer, my sister and I were away from mom and dad, away from the community that raised us. And at the end of the summer, after my mom found a little temporary house to live in on the other side of town and she found a job, we came home. Three weeks left in the summer. I couldn't wait to see my mom and see my dad and see my friends. And so you can imagine the anger and the confusion when my mom tells me that one of the final weeks of the summer, you're going on the mission trip with Messiah Lutheran Church. I don't want to go. Church. We were a faithful church family. We didn't have these comfortable pews. They were the hard wooden pews, you know. Real Lutheran church, real hard wooden pews, let you know that you're wretched. Um, I got a fist bump back here. I didn't want to go. And yet in my mom's desperation to figure her life out, and I think through God's infinite wisdom, my mom knew that I needed surrounded by Christian community, that my mom didn't have the answers for me at the time, and so she needed the youth leaders, Pastor Josh and Chris and Thad and others, to, to surround me. I needed other children that could wrap me up in love, and I can tell you how on that trip, as life is falling apart, as my heart is breaking and aching, how God began to spring up new life. It was on that trip to Colorado Springs, the mission trip, that I first felt a call to ministry. I came home from the trip and I told my mom, next Sunday, can I meet with Pastor Landis Kaufman? She said, why? We don't meet with the pastor. We're the family that sits in the back pew so we can escape after communion and we don't have to shake his hand. And now you want to meet with him? Were you being bullied on the trip? Were you being picked on? I know your name's Lauren and you slur your S's. Were you being picked on? <laughs> no, mom. Just set up the appointment. She set up the appointment. The next Sunday, I sat across from Pastor Kaufman. He said, what brings you in? And, and he said, is it your parents' struggles? And I said, no. He said, well, then why are you here? He said, I said, well, Pastor Kaufman, I went on the mission trip. He said, yeah, how was it? I said, well, here's the thing. 13 turning 14. I want to know what I need to do one day to have your job. He said, what? Are you feeling called to ministry? I said, I, I don't know. What, what, yeah, what do I need to do? Do I need to go to college? Do I need to take a Bible proficiency test? Like, what are the steps? And what he told me next has always remained with me. He said, I want you to think of your life as a bonfire. A bonfire? Yeah, a bonfire. I want you to put logs on your fire. What do you mean? Well, put a log on your fire. 
Don't just do the summer mission trip. Keep coming to church every week. Put a log on your fire. Don't just do devotions when you're with the youth group. Read, read, read some verses every day. Continue to pray. Continue to serve. Build your fire. But what he said next has been the most profound thing in my Christian journey that I've ever heard. He said, but know this, in this world, the rain will come, the winds will blow, and it might feel as if throughout many points in your life that your bonfire is all but extinguished. But you can always trust that God will keep the coals hot because God is faithful. Things will happen in your life where you shake your fists at God. You wonder if God is really present. You cry out in agony. You get tripped up and you get lost in the chaos of this world, but know that the coals underneath the ashes of your life will always be hot because our God is faithful. You see, the cycle of life is death to new life. You're going through a death right now, Lorne, but God will bring you new life. This is the cycle of our Christian life. The rest of my call story is to be continued on Easter Sunday. So I hope that you'll come back, not just to hear my story, but to hear the story of a God who can overcome anything in this world, the greatest pain we feel, the greatest mistakes we make, Come to hear about the crucified and risen Lord that brings new life out of the graveyards of our hearts. And most importantly, what I hope you hear every week, week in and week out, through Pastor Pat's proclamation, Pastor Alice, Pastor Alex, through my own proclamation as a ministry team, is that you would hear about a God who loves you unconditionally and can overcome any valley, any pain point in your life because our Lord is faithful. And he is the one who keeps the coals hot. Cling to your faith in the crucified and risen Lord. God loves each of you, and I do too. Amen.